Welcome. Hi, I'm Katie Morrell. I'm a creative and writer based in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I'm Karen Hawkins. I am the founder of Rebellious Magazine for Women and co-editor-in-chief of the Chicago Reader. You are listening to Of Course I'm Not Okay, an audio project. Join us as we talk about mental health, coping with quarantine, and what conversations we wish the world was having and isn't. For some of our episodes, we'll chat with writers and creatives to get their take. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Yay! Hi. We made it through another week. We made it. That is such a colossal achievement, Karen. I know. Katie, we really we did it. We should just eat cake. That's what I like. I want to, oh. like, every Friday should be like, you made it. Have a cupcake. Is that weird? I just, maybe that, I just am always thinking of sugar. It's so funny because I mean, I don't have, I feel like I'm more of a savory person than a sweet person. Like, I'm going to have another helping of mac and cheese before I have more cake. But you make me crave sweets because you just, I feel like you have a passion for them that is contagious. Oh, it is contagious. And I apologize because that has, (laughs) it has actually infiltrated my husband also. He was a total savory person, like loves Lay's potato chips, loves kettle chips, all of those chips. And now they don't exist in our house. Like only chocolate, only like, you know, every ice cream flavor and all of it. I think I've like changed his taste buds. It's weird. I don't know. It's not a good thing. You're right. It is kind of contagious. I would love to become a savory person. I should try the mac and cheese. I love mac and cheese. I mean, it's not. I'm also potato chips. I mean, if it was just mac and cheese, it was just like, oh, I just have another helping. No, 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 no. It's any salty, savory, anything. So. Yes. Like you can't even keep it in the house type of thing. Yeah. No. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. I can't keep pretty much anything in terms of, um, you know, uh, sweets in the house. Like, I don't know if I've already mentioned this on the podcast, but I really feel very strongly about this business idea that I have about. Oh no, here we go again. (laughs) Here we go. I seriously want it. I want to create this. If, if any venture capitalists are listening right now, I am open for a small seed round of $5 million or the, or the, (laughs) why not? not, Right. Ask for what you want, I guess. But (laughs) yes. So basically the idea is that I would like a man in a tuxedo to deliver one square of chocolate at 8 p.m. every night. And that's it, one square, no more, no less. And you, I can't stock up and that's, that's the whole thing. Um, because I just don't have any willpower, zero self-control when it comes to like, oh, buy a bunch at Costco. No, that bunch will be gone in probably eight hours, honestly. And then I'll be sick. And then I'll lay in bed at 2 a.m. thinking, why? Just why? So anyway, I have some issues. Maybe I shouldn't be talking about this publicly because I need some help. I feel like talking about it is the first step. And I also just want to note that only a reporter would be so specific. Like, it's not just like, I want a man to bring some chocolate to my house. No, 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 no. It is a man. Or I want an individual. I want someone to bring chocolate to my house. No, no, no. It is a man. He is in a tuxedo. He is coming at a very specific time and he's bringing this exact thing. Like, I feel like it's important to know what you want and it will be scary if two years from now on the podcast, we're talking about our sponsor, Tuxedo Chocolates. Oh, (laughs) Of course I'm not okay. It's brought to you by Tuxedo Chocolates. (laughs) Get your Tuxedo Chocolates subscription for $10 a week or 
$30 a month. I don't know. Maybe I'm not, I'm, I'm still working on the pricing, but I, I think it all depends on the size of the chocolate because to your point, I have ideas about that as well. I one inch by one inch. That's it. We're talking small. One inch by what? I mean, come on. Really? Okay. Fine. Maybe should, I should get, it, they should be bigger, but if they're like five inches, I'll eat that too. Well, not I mean, I don't think wrong. it should be like the size of like a lottery check. Like I'm not <laughs> saying it should be like, like the dude who has like backs a truck up to your house and unloads the chocolate, but I feel like one inch is really small. You're right. <laughs> That's pretty micro. Maybe three inches. I don't know. I think it depends. Oh. Maybe bigger on the weekends. So that, what you just said is going to get us an explicit tag for this episode. Oh you no. You just used the words micro, three inches and bigger on the weekends. <laughs> So within the same two sentences. Shit. Oh, you're right. We might get an explicit tag. Sorry, listeners. You can't listen to this. Yeah, no, tell your children to close their ears. Earmuffs. Listeners, we just finished the most amazing interview with our amazing guest. How much fun we had talking to Nyella Warren, who is a therapist out of New York. You will want to be her best friend. We now want to be her best friend. And she's also, of course, an amazing clinician, it seems. But we just, we talked about almost everything you can possibly imagine. And she is just warm and wonderful and glowy. And we really think you're going to love this episode. This episode is everything. I mean, everything from self-care to self-care for people who don't think they have time for self-care to you know, how to find a therapist to resources for Black folks and people in, and people of color. Like, there are just so many amazing nuggets from this. It's unbelievable. Also, ooh, one thing that we didn't cover is Shine. Shine is an app. Mm. And that was how we found her, which was on this blog. Shine and Shine is an app for people of color that is basically like a, it's like a meditation app, right? But it has more than that. Yes, it has more than that. And I, they target me on Instagram. And one of the things I appreciate that they say is that most, and by most, I mean all, meditation apps and meditation practices, um, the voices are white folks. They're either, you know, people of color from India or from places where that is part of the tradition or they're white folks. And so this is specifically therapy and meditation and the voices are all black people. I think so. Or people of color. You're going to fix this in editing. That's amazing. I'm so, yes. I mean, I'll, I'll include all of these in the resources. Nyella Warren, you are going to want to follow her on Instagram. You can slide into her DMs with your questions. She Enjoy. She's amazing. Hey, great. Well, Nyella Warren, thank you so much for coming on um, Of Course I'm Not Okay, an audio project. We just so appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really excited to be able to have this conversation with you all. For the people who are listening who might not be familiar with your work, can you kind of talk us through a little bit about what you do and where um, where you work and that kind of thing, just a little bit about your background? Yeah, absolutely. So by training, I'm a licensed, in marriage, uh, licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, I started out working in addiction. So I worked with uh, mostly homeless men who were struggling with co-occurring disorders, meaning they would be struggling with um, some type of addiction, whether it be alcohol or opioids, and um, also struggling with a mental illness such as like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or um, generalized anxiety. Um, And then I did that for several years until I transitioned into private practice. And I started working with a place called Hill House, which shout out to Hill House, love them. 
and it was a, a heavily spiritual community. They really introduced so many people to all of these very not mainstream practices of like healing, so very holistic. Uh, there was a lot, I was working next door to like psychic mediums. I would be um, downstairs while I'm hearing like sound baths happening and like yoga going on. Like my clients were here chanting. So it was a really beautiful space of all around healing. Um, so I got to do that for a bit. And then I transitioned to uh, where I am now, which is a mental health startup by the name of Real. And Real's entire like mission is to sort of kind of disrupt the therapeutic industry because to be honest, we have never, we really never looked at therapy in the same way that we did physical health. We sort of looked at therapy and mental health as like its own little thing and only a few people get to address it. If you have the money, if you have the time, if you have the resources, if you even have the support. So it's a company that's really looking to create more of a, a making mental health really just a part of our daily life in the same way that we do everything else. Um, so that's where I am now. And so we do a lot of different things, groups, doing individual therapy. Um, we have a product called Pathways, which is sort of like a therapeutic podcast. And, but we have homework assignments and all those things. So it's really, really fun to do. That just all sounds amazing. And I really, I, I, I can't wait to see you expand. I can't wait until you get to Chicago. I can't wait till you get to the Bay Area and then to Oregon. Like I just, yes, all of it. Let's do all of it right now. Yes, um, yes 100%. <laughs> so who are your, do you have, I know you, you started your career working with a certain set of folks. Do you have a set of clients? Like who are your clients now? What is that? What does your client base look like now? Um, my clients mostly since I left addiction counseling really are mostly um, black identifying women. Um, they are mostly in the age ranges of really anywhere from early twenties to late thirties. Um, some of my clients in the past, my clients were all in the demographic of like 40 and over. Um, so now this is interesting working with sort of a younger demo, but um, mostly now working professionals, mostly those who are, struggling with relationship issues, those struggling with family issues, dealing with the generalized anxiety of kind of with the world. Um, and that was even before COVID. So now that's really heightened. Um, so yeah, mostly that. Also people who are dealing with a lot of transitions. So whether they're looking to transition their career, transition out of relationships, out of marriages, things like that is mostly what I'm seeing. So I, I mean, obviously I have a lot of feels about Black women being in therapy because, you know, I've been in therapy for a long time, but there is so much, it was not easy to convince myself to go. It hasn't been easy to talk to people about it. And I don't know if you can talk a little bit about how you, how people find you, how they come to you and, you know, how do you, how do you push past that thing that all black girls are raised with, which is like, you just need to walk it off. I know a lot of girls oh, are yeah. raised with that, but I mean, especially black women, yeah. like you're just, you're just going to walk it off. That's just what happens. Why, why are yeah. you, why you, why you got to bring up old shit? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like be strong, move through it, push through it. Yes. I, um, now in terms of that, like shake it off kind of thing, I think that is cultural for like so many different reasons. I think there's so many reasons why we have maybe experienced having, not having space to process our feelings. One, it's a matter of safety. I mean, 
in especially in mental health, especially in social services, especially for communities of color, those people that we saw with those notepads were not coming to do any good, right? Oftentimes family felt like when we saw social workers, when we saw like social service workers, bad news was happening, right? That our family was about to be threatened, ripped apart. Um, but even historically, medically and from the mental health like field, there were so many ways that communities of color were um, harmed by those same entities. So there's a lot of mistrust and distrust to work with medicine, but also work to work with psychiatry. So I think those are all the things that sort of created these defenses as to why, you know, nope, we don't do that. We stay over here. And then people just move towards this, the natural ways that they would use to kind of heal themselves, whether that be spirituality, whether that be um, compartmentalizing. Um, so, so many different things. Can I ask you, you know, do you feel like there's a generational shift within the Black community or within communities of color right now moving toward therapy or toward, um, you know, mental health as, like you say, like a, a wellness practice, like treating it like any other part of our physical body? Do you think that there's a change in that way? Or do you think that, like, the, these different communities are really still struggling in that way? Or how do you feel around that? You know, I do think there has been a big shift in one, um, just how we interact with therapy. I think throughout the generations, I think we just continue to grow and evolve as humans do. And so our emotional intelligence has just increased. And then now seeing that also being met with more opportunities to deep dive into that emotional intelligence that we are developing. Um, so I, I like to say that that is in part because we are just growing, we're living, we're seeing, we're learning different things. Um, but I think coupled with the fact that there are so many different people who have started to kind of do that introspective work and then create platforms, like obviously you both have done, and be able to really have these real conversations about how are you really feeling? Um, and those are questions when you ask people, those are not things that people are used to answering, honestly, right? Like, even how are you is like, fine. That's it. Nothing, anything else. That's it. That's the beginning and end of that sentence. So I think that our growth, our development, our evolving, mixed with having platforms that really push that, that really nurture that, that really encourage that, um, I think is why we're seeing that shift. Therapy is just one piece of self-care. So I don't know if you can talk about what else self-care means, right? I feel like people think like, I went to therapy, I checked that box, you told me to go, I went, I'm good. <laughs> like, what else? Yeah. You yeah. know, it's a whole holistic, self-care is a holistic thing. So what else, what else can it look like for people? Yeah, I think self-care for me is really just doing what you know that you need to do to make yourself feel better and to make yourself function better. So that could look like anything from go, taking a nap if you're really, really sleepy. That could look like peeing when you have been sitting at your desk for five hours and you're like holding it until you finish that last like email or something. <laughs> like it could look like not taking certain calls from certain people because you know that they drain you. It could look like um, making sure that you are eating things that you know that your body actually likes, right? Like I know... I'm lactose intolerant. I still play with trying to eat ice cream. Not the best self-care activity I could do, right? 
but I can just switch to, you know, a non-problematic dairy product and see what happens or non-dairy product, excuse me. So I think it, it really just is about taking care of yourself. And sometimes that is not always like, as I said, like a bubble bath doesn't always look like something super luxurious. It's really about meeting your needs in that moment. Um, and oftentimes when we think about self-care, we think that it's this like very selfish thing that we're taking time away, but it really is about just what does your body need right now and how can you meet that need? And you may not be able to do it in the way that you want to, but how can you at least address what it's, what it's asking you for? I think it's so interesting talking about self-care because I do talk to some friends specifically, I don't have any children, but friends that do have children or have responsibilities that go beyond their, you know, um, their jobs or, you know, kind of things that, that are really quite time intensive for them. And honestly, I get a lot of eye rolls, you know, like I get a lot of, I, I get a lot of like, okay, you know what, it would be really nice if I had the time or I had like, which I don't ascribe to at all, but I guess I'm wondering how you react or how, how, how can people your opinion around how people can really prioritize this and what this looks like. Like, I love what you just said about this doesn't have to be a bubble bath. Like this doesn't have to be, you know, something that's kind of the traditional idea of let's take three hours out of our day to do like for people who truly are struggling to find even three minutes in their day, what kinds of um, kind of pieces of advice would you give them when they're, they're really struggling with even the concept of self-care? Yeah, I think, I think first, like, I think while social media has been helpful in um, encouraging us to do self-care, I think it has created very uh, rigid ways that we can engage in it. And so it makes it look like a very luxurious thing, which if you don't have time, it's like, I don't have time to do that. Whatever that luxurious thing is that people are doing, like going, like going across town for like my favorite latte or taking this long bubble bath, I don't have time for that. So I think if we sort to if we sort of try to restructure what that even means, if it just means to take care of your needs, making sure that your needs are met, when framing it that way just already changes the game for a lot of people. Like when I tell my clients, so you sat at your desk for 25 minutes with a full bladder, and then what happened? Yeah, I started getting really pissed at the person who kept talking. I'm like, yes, and why is that? Like. And all of that is because you're not allowing yourself to meet those needs and putting yourself in a really compromising situation to endure something that you don't really have to. So I think when we try to reframe it of, okay, well, when you notice you have to pee, just go to the bathroom. When you notice that your lips are drying, cracking, and bleeding, drink some water. Like making it that simple and allowing people first to just get in tune with what's coming up for them. What are sensations that are happening for you? You notice that you're having dry mouth. Okay, so that means you're thirsty. Okay, you notice that you have to use the bathroom. Okay, that means get up to use it. You notice that you're starting to get a little hungry. Okay, so where can you start to go grab a snack? If we just start right there, that honestly is enough. Everything else is to like continue to elevate your mood. But if we just start there, that that is enough. Doesn't have to be anything more luxurious than seeing your needs, noticing them, and then trying to meet them in that moment. And do you? That was actually one of the questions I wrote down. Follow up. Do you have any tips for people? Because I feel like it's hard for some people to even listen to their bodies. Like the concept mm -hmm. of like being in touch with. I mean, I don't know about your struggle with being lactose intolerant, but it took me a long 
time to figure out my dietary restrictions because again, I was just walking it off, right? So I felt like even the notion of listening to your body and taking the time to, oh, I'm thirsty. Oh, my lips are cracked AF. Like, so are there any tips for people about, do you set a timer? Do you tell Alexa to remind you? Like, how do you, how do you even do, how do you build that into your day? So I think the way that we tend to talk about doing that is by practicing mindfulness. And when we say mindfulness, that does not mean like sitting in Zen and meditation for like five hours. What it really is, is being thoughtful and being aware around what's happening in your environment, both internally and externally. So that in itself is a practice. And when we talk about trying to pay attention to what's happening in your body, it starts with just that daily awareness. So usually with clients um, who don't really have that sort of mechanism yet, I start with um, letting them know, all right, well, how about you do a morning check-in and then see if you can squeeze in an evening check-in. So when you first wake up, just see what's happening for you. Do you notice that you're really, really hungry? Okay, is there a moment where you can go grab a snack? Okay, are you noticing that you're a little bit anxious? Okay, is there a moment where you can kind of take a beat, maybe watch something that's really, really funny randomly? or maybe taking a walk around the block before you really like get your day started. So having a moment where you just sort of have that time to just check in and see what's, what's present, what's coming up. Sometimes you wake up, I don't know about you all, but I have some crazy dreams and I wake up and I'm like, oh my goodness, what is going on, right? And I did not go to sleep with the mood that I woke up with. But in that moment, I'm like, okay, let me check in. And so just having that process, it doesn't have to be super long. You don't have to journal, but if that's helpful, then doing that, maybe writing down some of the first thoughts that are coming into your mind, or maybe it is about sitting down, listening to some music before you get your day started, shaking up your routine a bit, putting fun things in your day that you would normally like wait for a fun day, right? So like Saturdays, I want to like blast music because I know I'm going to clean up, but I might do that on a random Tuesday just because 9 a.m. I'm listening to Jay-Z just because it doesn't have to be a clean day. It doesn't have to be an unhappy day. So I think having those moments to check in, seeing what's happening, seeing what you're noticing, and then starting to meet those needs and then start throwing in different things in there that can just sort of interrupt that process that's happening, especially if you notice things like your mood being impacted. This is like hitting me directly in my heart because I, I, I'm sure that many people can resonate with the concept of not being in touch with their bodies and also not being raised to be in touch with their bodies. Like I think that so many people are just like up here, you know, in their heads. And yeah. just this past year, actually, I had a total wake up call where I, you know, I was going really, really hard with work and I was constantly, you know, I just wasn't paying attention to those little whispers, I guess they call them, where it's like, you know, your body will whisper at you until it, until it really, you know, is yelling at you. And, and yeah, one morning I woke up having hit my head on the, on the um, wall and I passed out and I had a concussion and it was because I was so depleted, honestly, I'm fine now. I, I mean, I, I, I'm not saying this to have any you know sympathy or anything like that. I'm just saying like, this is just an example that like, mm-hmm. I think people, even if they're listening, thinking like, that might not be me. Like, I think it's actually incredibly common and to not have shame around it, because I guess I would love to talk to you about that a little bit, because at least for me, I have, you know, kind of a, a perfectionism mindset in some ways, or I, I'm trying to recover from that, I guess you could say, <laughs> but I just, I think it's, you know, it's interesting. Cause it's like, you know, after this happened to me, um, this past year, 
I really had to sit back and think like, okay, what is going on? And it wasn't until a neurologist actually said like, hey, you need to slow the fuck down. Like you just need to like, and, and it was really important to hear that message from someone who is like looking at x-rays of my brain. And so it's mm -hmm. just, can you talk to, I mean, this is, as much as this sounds so wonderful, like this is serious shit. Like, can, mm -hmm. I mean, can you speak to that a little bit? Like this is real. Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons why I always joke when I like do certain like projects that self-care is my favorite thing. But one of the reasons why it is, is because of the degenerative nature of stress and chronic stress, right? I don't think that we as a society really give stress the credit it's due in literally killing us. So when we talk about how dealing with maybe relationships that are consistently stressful, dealing with jobs that are consistently stressful, having uh, an array of obligations on a daily basis that overwhelm us. We don't, we talk about the immediate feelings of what it's like to be like stressed and having anxiety, but we don't really talk about the biological impact that stress is having on us. And so it starts to tear down these different um, mechanisms in ourselves, like our, our telomeres, for example, are these little um, these little, I call them like screws on the end of our chromosomes that they start to break down when it's consistently exposed to stress. And that comes out in so many different ways, whether it's physical illness, whether it's mental illness, mood disturbances. And so those things start to stress being the number one culprit. And then it over time, it becoming chronic. That plays a huge part in the way that our bodies begin to process everything. And so the body under consistent stress, nor the mind, does well. So when we have self-care activities, those things are to help release that stress, especially if we notice that stress is acute for us, meaning stress in the moment. So let's say you get like a really like, I was going to say a bad word, but I didn't know if I could say a bad word, but a really like bad email. It's really okay. Yeah. <laughs> like if we get like a shitty email from like someone that we did not want to get an email from, or like things are just. We're maybe getting overwhelmed with maybe responsibilities at home. Like I know a lot of the parents that I've been talking to are ready to like check out, like they just can't be bothered anymore. So when we have those moments of stress suddenly coming to us, and then we do something about it either in that moment or a little bit later to address that, right? Because our bodies have been activated in that moment. And then we do something then to deactivate. And that's what really self-care is aiming to do. I hope that resonates with people because I'm with Katie that just like, I feel very exposed right now for a lot of those, a lot of the things you're talking about. So yes, I feel like you're talking to me. Katie, did you set me up? Is this an intervention? But <laughs> You wow. caught me, Karen. <laughs> wow. So yeah. I, I feel like the other thing that I feel like I am very guilty of when you mentioned social media is looking at social media and this sense that like anything, whatever you are doing, it is not enough. Oh, yeah. That however you are in the movement, however you are out of the movement, whatever you are doing for yourself, your family, whatever, it's never going to be enough. And I don't know if you can speak to if there are mantras, if there's anything you can say to people, I mean, other than just unplugging from social media, taking breaks from it, but how do we, how do we deal with this feeling that like you're just, you're just not doing enough? Yeah, I think for me, I always go to kind of a mantra, but really kind of like a way of living in a way of like my best is good enough. And knowing that our best, and I believe it was the four agreements, 
um, which is a, which is a book that I really really liked. Um, but talked about like your best is different at different times, right? Your best when you're sick is going to be so different from your best when you're well, and your best when you're frustrated is so different from your best when you're pleasant and joyful and upbeat. And understanding that you're allowed to have that range, you're allowed to give what you can when you're feeling guilty. You're allowed to give what you can when you're feeling joyful. You're allowed to give what you can when you're feeling at peace. And though that may look a little bit different because the state that you're operating from is different. So I think if we can normalize that in and of itself, that sometimes when I'm really, really sleepy, my clients could probably tell you a sleepy nigh is not the best therapist than when she's like energetic nigh. And that just has to be all right. Because there is, I'm allowed that fluctuation and they're allowed that fluctuation as well. My client who's really excited about therapy that day is very different from a client who's like, I really did not want to be here right now. Completely different, right? And we're always allowed to have that. So I think if we can just kind of normalize that these different states will produce different outcomes sometimes in our mood and that will produce different outcomes in our behavior. And again, that just has to be okay. Now, do we have to run a fucking muck? because those things are happening? No, right? The way that we show it, the way that we emote it, um, if it is consistently problematic or causing a lot of issues, then obviously that's when we want to address it and maybe switch and change. But that doesn't mean that we pretend that we're in peace all the time. It doesn't mean that we pretend that we're happy all the time. It doesn't mean that we pretend that we never feel angry. So um, yeah, if we can just be okay with that, I think that will kind of give us a lot of peace and grace as we try to move through life. One of the things in the shine story um, that you mentioned was emotional intimacy and friendships, which kind of goes directly back to what you were just saying about if you're okay to say you're okay, if you're not like tell people you're not. And that's part of a self-care practice. Can you speak to emotional intimacy? Because I feel like that has changed, at least in my experience with my friends, you know, within the last six months, you know, the answers of like, how are you doing fine? It doesn't work anymore. Like those, those conversations no longer work, which really was the inspiration for Karen and I starting this audio project, because we're trying to have as frank and real of conversations as we can. I guess, you know, for people listening who are like, okay, I love the idea of being intimate and emotionally intimate um, and really telling someone how I feel, but none of my friends do that. All we do is joke around all the time. Or is it, gonna, is it okay for me to say that I'm not okay? And, and also, how do I know if the person I'm telling, maybe if it's a long-term friend or not, is a safe person to tell? Because not everyone has a reaction that feels nourishing. And so can you speak a little bit to that? Cause I feel like that's so important. I mean, I know right now I'm basically only talking to people who are safe, who, are, who I can be emotionally intimate with, um, but not everyone has that. Yeah, you know what? I think to your point about developing emotionally, you know, intimate relationships with people, it does start with being safe. And that also looks like taking a temperature check of that person and also the environment. Um, so sometimes for certain people, they may feel really uncomfortable with emotion. And it's usually not because they are, um, it's nothing, uh, they're not like intentionally being, you know, like maybe cold or distant or, 
but they really may be uncomfortable with their own emotions. And so they have no idea what the fuck to do with yours. They're like, you're crying. Okay. Do you need a tissue? Welcome to my everyday. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I don't know what to do here. Um, And so that may already be present and that's okay. But I do think that one, taking a temperature check to see who you feel most safe with. Who do you feel most comfortable with? Who do you feel like, um, it, what, which relationship is the most nourishing or nurturing to you, right? And that can have various degrees. You may have some friends that the way they choose to nurture and nourish is to say, oh my gosh, you know, I'm so sorry, and kind of be very like soft and very sort of like mothering in a way. Um, and then you have some friends who are their approaches to be soft, but also to like kind of make you laugh through it. Then you may have some friends who are like, don't worry about that at all. Like they're the friends to like, let's get your mind off of it, right? And so you may have friends who deal with these things differently. And so as you start to notice, and I'm sure all of us, as we've lived throughout our lives, we know which friends are for what, right? Like, you know, you have some friends, you're like, I'm going to call you because you're going to tell me to do that bad thing. Or I'm going to call that friend and they're going to tell me not to do it. But if I want to do it, I know which friend to call. So you already kind of have a sense of who's who in your life. And so you can use your experiences, those moments when you, you have those needs and use your relationships in that way as well. So I think one paying attention to the temperature of the environment of those relationships, where, you're, where you feel soft, nurtured, um, who's going to make you laugh, who's going to try to make you forget about it. Because sometimes we may want to be nurtured and mothered, but we go to the friend who's like, forget about it. What do you mean? That doesn't matter. Like, let's go do something else, right? And so really, it just means that we may need to look into some of the friendships that we have to see how they can best support us in that moment. But that also takes us being self-aware and knowing what we need. Um, And so knowing what we need in that moment so we can actually look to those people um, who can provide it in that way. Um, I think the other part to emotional intimacy is also you allowing yourself to be intimate. I have a colleague who always says, she gets this from Brene Brown, that vulnerability begets vulnerability. And when we are able to share just a little, you don't have to like, you know, give like your list of big T and little T trauma. You can just kind of like, you know, start with like, yeah, today was a really, really tough day. I felt really sad. That could just be enough. That in itself could be a temperature check to see how that person responds. And then is that, does that feel safe? Did they respond in a way that made you feel like you could keep going? Did they respond in a way that made you feel like they were uncomfortable? And that kind of lets you know what relate like what kind of relationships you may have around you what their capacity is for emotional support and emotional intimacy um so the first part i would say is definitely doing a temperature check and then the next thing is testing and seeing how vulnerable you're able to be usually we we kind of know we can feel it like when we share something if we're like holding our breath we're like i don't know what they're gonna say sometimes it ends up working very well other times you're like probably shouldn't have said that because they couldn't handle it and that's okay and now I'm going to have a vulnerability hangover and just you know go have some ice cream that I probably shouldn't eat because I'm lactose intolerant so (laughs) so yeah I, I would definitely say that those two things for sure so we look to other people when we need them and it for me it brings up also like how do I be a good friend to people Right. I feel like it's there's there's mutuality to it, too. You know, like I feel like there are a lot of us who take care of our friends a lot um, and don't know how to be taken care of and all these other things. So I don't I don't know 
what you what that brings up for you like this notion of like it's not just about what other people give to you it's what you give to them too yeah 100 percent. i think we we can tell a lot about so much of our little mini worlds from the way that we ourselves operate so if we notice that we ourselves really may not have i don't know like maybe a large capacity for example for like feelings or fit may make us uncomfortable we may also be sort of radiating that kind of energy to our friends and maybe our friends wanted to be vulnerable with us but we kind of seemed really uncomfortable with our feelings too so now they don't really want to share that so i think it's in part exactly to what you said that yes there's a part of us that want to be thoughtful about what other people can provide for us but also looking at ourselves and saying am i also giving off the kind of environment that breeds emotional intimacy does what do I give off a vibe that makes someone feel safe? Do I give off a vibe that's non-judgmental? Do I give off this nurturing vibe? Do I try to make people laugh? Like, what is the way that I try to show up? And being able to communicate that to your friends as well, being clear about that, I think is really important so that way people know where they stand and you know where you stand as well. One of the things that I wanted to ask you about is um, something that Karen and I talk a lot about, which is how to find a therapist. And I think it's something that, so both of us have been in therapy for a long time and I've gone through many, not gone through, that's not the right terminology, but I, I have visited with different therapists throughout my life. And I, um, and some of them are amazing and some of them haven't, you know, I've kind of, you know, cycled through a few that weren't the right fits. And so I'm wondering if you can speak to the idea of well, several things, I guess, like how you even look for a therapist. And then also, you know, I actually had a conversation with a friend the other day about how she interviewed five therapists before she chose the right one. And I seriously mm -hmm. was shocked. I mean, I, I was like, what are you talking? Is that a thing? Like, I didn't even know that was a thing. And so I, I don't even know. I, I mean, there's just so many questions. This could be its own episode, but I wonder if you can speak to anything around how to even start that process and then how to know if the person is right for you because sometimes it can be so i think it's so overwhelming to think okay i'm going to go to someone not sure if they're the right person and then t unload and then that will re-trigger a lot of things and then what if it doesn't work out so i think it's like that's sometimes the roadblock that people encounter yeah so i think one, I think it, there's so many different ways that you can start the process, and it really just depends on what, like, practically you need. So in looking for, number one, your level of care. When you talk about um, looking for a therapist, are you looking to be in a clinic? Because maybe you also want to do group therapy, maybe because you want to see your therapist more often. Um, maybe you want to utilize your insurance, which would be great, right? Um, so sometimes looking at first, which setup you need, do you want someone who's in private practice, someone who may be able to be a little bit more eclectic with their approach so they can kind of bring in all these different modalities. So that's one thing. I think the other part is, um, practically looking for someone who maybe has the insurance that you have, looking for someone who is in your budget or your range. Um, and you can do that by going on tons of different sites, like psychology today helps you filter through all these different things. You can go on. Um, sites like Heal House, there's also like Therapy for Black Girls, there's Talk Space, there's so many different places that sort of have groups of therapists available, so you can kind of sift through it. Um, but to uh, your point about like interviewing therapists, 100%, 
I think therapy therapy is something that's so based on the connection and the vibe that if that is not there, then so much work can be lost. And I think that is the part that we we don't really, because we don't really have a culture that asks us to like um, really engage in mental health. We don't have a culture in like screening people and finding what works for us. Um, so I do hear lots of clients who all have therapist shops. That's totally fine. Setting up like five different consultations, taking a few different calls with a few different people and seeing how you feel at the end of those. Most therapists, um, especially those in private practice tend to do consultations. So you go in, you have your first session, you fill it out, you see you know, what, what the vibe is, or you'll do a phone consultation, get to talk to them, tell them some of your goals, what are they thinking about, what treatment could look like. And so you have the option to be able to do that. So setting up a few different consults with a few different people um, can really help you to sort of feel out who best sort of seems to get you, um, but can also provide the treatment that you're looking for. Um, then again, that's the other thing is looking for people who can provide the treatment that you are looking for. So if you have a lot of trauma work, looking for a trauma-based therapist. If you have a lot of anxiety, looking for a therapist who specializes in treating anxiety. If you're having um, issues in your family, looking for a therapist who specializes in family issues. So those are different ways that we can start to filter through sort of all of these different people, but really just starts with your needs. You don't have to have like the therapy jargon, just like, well, what do I need? What do I even want from therapy right now? I think therapy has become so um, buzzy and like become so like, what's the word, like mainstream almost now, um, that I think people want a therapist, but they don't really know what they want out of therapy. So they kind of just like jump in the room and they're like, yeah, I don't really know why I'm here. Instagram told me that I should do this because I might have trauma. So let's see what's in here. Um, so I think first also having a plan for yourself, like, what are you looking to get out of this? What do you want to see different? How do you want to be different? If a therapist walked into your life right now, how would you want their presence to impact you? Um, so really just thinking about that, I think for yourself is really a good first step. And then also looking at all these different platforms um, that provide you resources as well. That's so helpful. Thank you for all of that. And you know, one of the things I thought of when you were talking, um, I'm going to date myself. I don't know if either of you have seen the movie Kissing Jessica Stein. I don't even That's one of my that favorite movie. movies. I'm not even kidding. That I seriously <laughs> feel like that movie, that movie, what was it, like 96 maybe? I mean, it's 90 Five? something. Oh, it's such a good movie. <laughs> I will link that in the resources. It's amazing. Love, I will send I you the link. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I have to check it out. Is it a rom-com? Because I'm a sucker for a rom-com easy. It is. I don't know spoilers. It is a rom-com. Um, I mean, I don't, it's not a spoiler to say, I'm not going to say anything else. <laughs> what I'm going to say about it is this. So Katie, you will remember this. How did I not know this about you? There's a scene where two of the characters are talking and one of them asks if, oh, have you, have you told your therapist about us? And it's Jessica Stein. She says, oh, no, 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 no. This it's way too personal. <laughs> I would never talk, to, talk about this with my therapist. And it's like, what are you, what, what are you going there for then? So I love the idea of goals, being honest with yourself about what you're doing there. Yeah, totally. I yeah. also love the idea of what you said in terms of like looking for therapists that are specialized in what you're looking for. Like if it's anxiety or if it's depression or if it's trauma, that is such a, like my mind is blown, honestly, because 
I, I seriously have just made the connection between what you said so early in the conversation, which was basically how we should be all treating our mental health like any other you know, thing in our bodies. And basically what this is, is it sounds like you're looking for second opinions. It's kind of like, if you're going to get heart surgery, you're not going to go with your first person and be like, Hey, that person looks great. Like you're going to actually shop around. You're going to talk to different people. Or if you're looking for care for diabetes or whatever it is, like you're going to shop around and you're also going to make sure that the person that you're, that is treating you is treating your exact condition. And so that's a really, that also is like even more reinforcing that there should not be any taboo around mental health because it's just it's just the same as being well in a, being well in any other area of your life absolutely and i think that is in part because i don't think in general in society and in so many cultures we don't really value the issues that we go through in life as real problems that are real threats to our health so when someone is struggling to connect with certain family members are having a lot of conflict in their family, therapy is usually not the first thing that they think of, right? But that is a place that you could go to to kind of help to remedy some of those situations. And so when we think about the experiences that we have, we don't really tack that to, oh, wait, there's a place that I can have this addressed. In the same way that if I hit my pinky toe the wrong way on the side of my bed, I'm going to go to a podiatrist, right? Because if my toe is kind of like crooked, I'm like, okay, I got to get this fixed. And I can't go to like an endocrinologist because they can't do that. So, you know, you want to try to, one, value your experience, value how you're feeling enough um, to say, you know what, I, I do deserve to kind of get this looked at, get this checked out and that be okay. Well, and I, I wonder how much people think I mean it's like people who clean their house before the cleaning lady comes over right you don't have to like you you don't have to wait until you're feeling better to go to therapy like no no I can't I'm I can't go to therapy I'm too much of a mess like no that's why you should go so. yeah and and those are the that honestly is often what happens or um when there's a crisis you usually book the appointment in crisis so usually when I'm looking at like forms or I'm like getting ready to do the call I'm like oh my goodness this is really serious and then I'm on the phone with the client and they're like oh yeah no it was fine like we just kind of had an argument and we're good and I'm like okay and I'm like but you still want to go to oh yeah yeah because yeah. I still I'm still going to need the help but you know in that moment I was like you know ready to kill my whoever and I just you know needed someone in that moment right so I think it's either in crisis mode or it's let me hurry up and fix myself so that no one sees any of that stuff that I might have going down in there and I think that is um really doing a disservice to both clients and therapists because as therapists we want to do that work i always tell my clients i want you to cry please cry like i can't wait to see it because those are the, the moments and not just when you cry you have a breakthrough but those are the moments seeing that that vulnerability that's that growth and that's what i want for my clients is to have those moments to have those ahas to have that insight to, to start developing new perspectives, new behaviors, um, to start to hear themselves. Because really that's what therapy often ends up being, is you being able to hear yourself. And I think when we can do that, that changes so much about the way that we experience everything in our lives. So just going there as raw as you can, which I love now, my clients are coming super raw and I love that. So um, I think that's, 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 that's one of the beautiful things that's happening now. Thank you.
list any mental health resources that you would recommend for Black folks or people of color um, that are either online or or not online? Look, anything, any resources for those communities? Yeah, absolutely. So there is uh, one Heal House, really, really great. Um, we also have Real. Real, we have Pathways, which is for individuals who may be pre-therapy or post-therapy. So as like sort of like a maintenance tool or as like an introductory tool. Um, and we have certain um, pathways for specifically for women of color, which is really, really great. Um, I would also encourage Therapy for Black Girls. They have a humongous directory of Black female therapists. Um, there's also another, and I can't remember the name of it, but there is one for um, queer, queer therapists of color um, for clients who identify as queer, clients who identify as trans, clients who identify um, as gender expansive. Um, I will make sure to give you all that so you can list that as a part of the resources. I just, the name is escaping me and I don't want to mess it up. Um, and then we also have like Psychology Today. I know, no shade to Psychology Today. I know the site looks a little like dated, but <laughs> it is really, really helpful in that you can filter through literally so many different things. You can identify um, certain specialties. You can identify insurances, uh, regions of practice, um, identifying therapists who work with LGBTIQA communities, like all of it. So um, I really do think that that's a really nice place to start as well. That is wonderful. Thank you so much. We will list all of those things. We so appreciate you and so appreciate your time. It's been so wonderful to talk to you. Um, Katie and I um, have a secret agenda that we want to become friends with all of our guests. So just know that this is not the last you'll be hearing from us. <laughs> yes, very much. Not so secret agenda. That. Yes, this is, this is basically the reason for the podcast. We're just like interviewing friends and... <laughs> Correct. I love Correct. that. I, I, I loved having this conversation with you all. I feel like one, you just are so warm and just so like real. So that just made it easy to have this conversation. So um, I just really appreciated being here and talking to you. It was, it was actually a lot of fun. Oh, I'm so <laughs> glad. Can you tell all the listeners where to find you? Oh, sure. So they can always follow me on Instagram. It's really the only piece of social media I have. So I have my Instagram page. It's at NAI on life. Um, all one word. And um, you can find me there. You can always shoot me a, a DM or something like that. I'm usually really quick to respond if you have questions. Um, thank you all so much. This was so much fun. Aww. Have a great weekend. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye -bye. Thank you.